Welcome back to this sure. week. Oh. <laughs> right, Welcome back to this week's episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast with me, Michael, and your other hosts, me and Dominic. Today, we're going to be talking about teacher rec letters, how to build relationships with teachers, and how to get them to write really good rec letters. Because we're none of us are teachers, and none of us are people who write rec letters, we've invited on a 20-year veteran of public schooling onto the podcast to talk to us about how we can get really good teacher recommendation letters. This week, we have Mr. Don Gonzalez on the podcast as our guest. Mr. Gonzalez was the teacher at my school who wrote probably the most number of rec letters for me. Um, he is commonly referred to throughout the past podcast and future podcast as the administrator and sometimes even as uh, the counselor. And that's because he has done so much for me in terms of college admissions and just giving me advice. It would be a lot different, I think, where I would have ended up without him. So welcome to the podcast, Mr. Gonzalez. Well, thank you for having me, and thanks for those kind words. Um, I've listened to every single episode, so it's kind of fun to actually be on one now. <laughs> Our mo most loyal listener. Um, but since we're talking about rec letters, I think the most important thing to do is talk to you about why they are, they are important. Because a lot of public schools and very big state schools uh, say they're either not required or, or they won't even read them. This really does change, though, when you get to mid-tier schools and especially top-tier schools, because what the rec letters serve to do is they serve to add a different dimension of yourself. You know, every single other part of your application is you. This is the part of the application where other people talk about, and that allows other people to validate the things that you've said about yourself. So if you said that you are a leader who takes charge of things, it's helpful to have a teacher say, yeah, that's generally true. It's also helpful to have a teacher maybe validate some of the caveats you have in your application. So if you have done poorly in a class, maybe the teacher in that class can explain some of the context around that bad grade. Uh, better than you can because they're the teacher and they have a better position. And finally, the reason why these rec letters are especially important for top tier schools is because they're really one of the big points of differentiation because there are a lot of students who are really good at a lot of things, but they don't have really good teachers to write really good letters for them. And if you're able to do that, you can stand out among a really good crowd. So Rec letters, they are very, very important. So that's why we're spending an entire episode on how to get good rec letters. Now, these rec letters, most of them are teacher required. So you'll need to ask two of your high school teachers for these uh, recommendation letters. And we're going to kind of go over how you can approach these teachers and what you can be doing throughout your years in high school to be able to give your teachers the best substance to write your letter. And we'll start off with freshman year. Well, generally, freshman year is when you, uh, you first enter high school and you're meeting a lot of your teachers um, for the first time. So really what you can do is get to know the teachers that you have classes with. So like your math teacher, your English teacher, participate in their class, maybe join some clubs because freshman year you're also looking to join clubs and extracurricular activities. But really just kind of make yourself known to them, talk to them outside of class, also get help because it would not only benefit you in that you get to know the teacher, but also you get help with the subjects you need, which is really important. So just trying to interact with as many teachers as you can and seeing who you really get along with, because that will really benefit you in the future. So Mr. Gonzalez, I actually have a question. Um, sure. Because 
So we, so I went to, I used to go to the law magnet where your uh, administrator teacher at. Um, and so we're a pretty small school. So like a hundred to a hundred, like 16 per class, I think. That's correct. Um, when freshmen come up to you and ask questions and say hello or whatever, do you remember them? Oh, absolutely I do. I mean, I can tell you that since one of my primary responsibilities is recruiting for the school, I remember some of these kids going back all the way to the seventh grade. So, yes, most definitely. And, you know, it's us us being a small school, people will make an impression on you. And, like, you know, one of the unusual things that's happening this year is that we lost a teacher. Well, we didn't lose her. She quit because she got engaged uh, and, and decided that she didn't need to teach anymore. So... We have an opening, a surprising opening, and I was the most logical person to take over the class. So for the first time in a very long time, I'm teaching freshmen. And, you know, right off the bat, I can tell that some of them are standing out above others, and I'm going to remember those kids. I mean, the other thing, too, is, is and I'm not going to lie, because I'm also the uh, mock trial coach. I've also identified who some of those kids are and recruited them. So, um, so yeah, especially if you're if the teacher is somebody who sponsors uh, an organization or just interacts with them. And the thing about it is, is that teachers do talk. So like there are three or four of us that teach all of the freshmen in, in the, in the law part or or the various law cluster classes, what we call them. And we have three clusters. We have a law cluster, a government cluster and a law enforcement cluster. And particularly in the law and government clusters, the six of us will talk to each other about who the kids are that are standing out and the, like we might have a good day where a student just had a very insightful answer. So absolutely. When you get to senior year and start writing people's rec letters, um, do you ever use material or interactions from freshman year? Yes. In fact, uh, last year I had a student who uh, I talked about because she actually froze up in the middle of a mock trial that we were doing in class as part of the curriculum. And she froze and she just broke down and started crying. She had a panic attack and she could have just left it at that and never returned to the activity. But she chose to actually try out for the competitive mock trial team. And she actually made the team and was one of our starting witnesses the last three years, including the year we finished third in state. So that was definitely part of her letter of recommendation. I talked about how uh, I saw her development um, from that shy, anxious freshman that developed into a young leader because when we had the walkout um, that was at school last year, she was actually one of the speakers at the walkout, and she was interviewed by four or five different news stations. And to to say that that was the same girl that froze up her freshman year, it just showed a tremendous amount of development on her part, so most definitely. Yeah, but I think that these letters don't have to be entirely filled with positive things about the students. I know one of our teachers was talking about a field trip they took one time, and one of the kids got in trouble for touching the art of the museum. So <laughs> oh my God. this teacher forced the kid to put their hands in their pockets the entire time, and <laughs> they earned the nickname Pockets the entire high school time. And he ended up writing a letter for them, and he included that in there, and he said that's one of the most memorable and best letters that he's been able to write. So sometimes if you've had that experience with a teacher, it might help. And then also, although we're talking about freshman year, for you know, most of our listeners are probably juniors or seniors, so you can also kind of think back to these experiences that you've had in the past with your teachers and figure out who would be good to ask. I'll bleep this out, but who's the teacher? <laughs> I, I figured. Oh my god. Not surprised. <laughs> okay, so that was freshman year and getting to know your freshman year teachers. Now we want to talk about how to build relationships with your teachers in sophomore. One thing that I definitely 
didn't have the chance to do but would have liked to do was keep in touch with my freshman year teachers. So I changed schools uh, between freshman and sophomore year. Um, and so the f- teachers I had freshman year, while um, I really liked them, uh, like I just didn't have the opportunities to really talk, go back and talk to them. So they weren't really that relevant in my rec letter process. But I definitely do know that I kept in touch with the teachers I had my first year at the school throughout my career um, at the law um, because that really does help build a relationship because the teacher's not just writing from the experience they had of you just from one year. They write about how you've grown in the span of two or three years and how you've changed. And, and the letter carries more weight because they've known you for longer. And presumably, maybe you can fool a teacher for one year, but you probably can't fool the teacher <laughs> for three or four years. Yeah, and I also feel like sophomore year, for me, for me personally, is when I actually got to really know the teachers better. Because like as a freshman, you're really angsty and kind of nervous. You're trying to balance all your schoolwork. And maybe the teachers might seem intimidating because I know like some of my freshman teachers made it a point to give off a very strong impression to kind of keep the freshmen in line. But like as a sophomore, you kind of had like a year under your belt and you're able to pick more of your classes. So you tend to have teachers who teach subjects that you might be more interested in. So it's really good during that time to continue to build on those relationships with teachers that you had freshman year, but also to develop new ones with the teachers you have sophomore year. So Mr. Gonzalez, um, in a lot of big schools, and even to some extent our smaller, tighter-knit school, uh, you're not going to have the same teacher freshman year as sophomore year. Uh, Even in, I think, our school, it's generally you have them in freshman year, and then you might have them again in junior year, or you might have a teacher sophomore year and have them again in senior year, especially for the English department. In that situation, how do you build on those relationships if you don't have a class with them? Because it's no longer that you go to them for tutoring help because you don't, they're not your teacher anymore. So what happens in that kind of in-between year? How do we still connect with those teachers? Well, there are a couple of things that you can do. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that even as early as a sophomore year, if you really excelled in that freshman class and you connected with that teacher, and that's somebody that you think you might, if you're thinking long term, and hopefully if you're listening to this, you're one of those people that's thinking long term, if you're a freshman or sophomore, and you start planting seeds, and one of the things you could do is offer to volunteer to tutor students that are now in that class who may not be performing as well as you did. And the other thing too is is that just popping your head into their room and saying hello, like, you know, over the years I've had students, you know, and especially now that I have an office that kids will just pop in in the morning and say hello and or, you know, come in the first thing in the morning and talk to me for a minute or two and that's one way to maintain the connection. There was one other thing that I wanted to add about sophomores that actually was what I thought the question that you were going to ask is, you know, I think that early on some of these teachers, you'll just connect. I mean, I don't know what the experiences of all three of you uh, are, but I know that with Michael in particular, there have been some key teachers there at the school that you've connected with. Yeah, and definitely. the honest truth is, is that you and I didn't have that connection in the beginning. <laughs> uh, that's a fair statement. No, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, some funny stories from back then. <laughs> but if you'll remember your sophomore year, one of the things that I kept pushing back with you is that I thought you were trying to do too much. Yeah, definitely. And I think that if you and I, if, if our relationship had been a little bit better, you might have taken that advice uh, as me not being critical of you, but, but realized that I was looking out for you at the time rather than... Yeah. So anyway. The other thing is that I think that, I, th- I think it's like really good that you 
pushed back at me with that because if you had said nothing and then I headed into my junior and senior year, I would have like no connection with you at all, right? And I wouldn't have felt comfortable approaching you with like, hey, can you write a rec letter or something like that? Because I have no connection with this person, so I'm not going to ask for any help. But because you started the bridge by what I thought then as critiquing me, but what I then realized was a helpful true suggestion i probably wouldn't have felt comfortable reaching out to you in the future. well i think it helped also that you were good at debate and that i yeah you know that's true was trying to make sure you were funded to go on your trips and whatnot that's true especially junior i remember going into your office quite a bit about the debate situation so. but yeah but then in junior year i think the types of teachers start to change because then you start getting into more ap classes a lot more ap classes and your schedule's probably a lot more busy just because you, A, have more AP classes, but B, probably have more extracurricular activities. One question I have is, how do you balance extracurriculars and academics with keeping in touch with old teachers? Because I know, especially with you and me, Gonzalez, is that when we have a conversation, it usually lasts for like a very long time, especially if I come into you at lunch or whatever, and then it kind of stretches past lunchtime. What do you think is the right balance between the two? What, between the, between academics and the activities or in terms of how you squeeze in time with teachers? I'm not sure I understand the question. In terms of how you squeeze in time with teachers. Um, because if you treat the conversations with the teachers as kind of like social calls, then because like you could be using the time differently. Like you could be using it to study instead of talking with teachers. So how do you make that determination well i guess i would say first off is that um you can control that a little bit uh based on what time of the day you go in to pop your head in or whatever um i think that the examples that you gave about uh, you and me sitting down and talking were unique uh number one because i don't only teach two classes now really when i'm not teaching these freshmen now as a sub so I had the freedom to sit there and talk to you. Um, I don't really remember where you were supposed to be during that time. So I don't know why you had the freedom to do that. So that's a that's another topic. Wow. But yeah. Michael skipping pro- class? What? No, he was no, not Michael. <laughs> I actually tried to get Michael to go off campus because I wanted him to be a regular student. I did go off campus. I did. So you say. <laughs> but my point is, is that you could just plan, like, if it's like right before the bell rings, you know, you all know when the teachers are most busy. And if you're concerned about, and you also know which teachers are going to talk the most. I mean, you, I mean, you knew coming into my office that you and I oh, both yeah. like talked that it was going to be a long conversation. Oh, yeah. But you might have a relationship with a different teacher that you know doesn't talk that way and that you would be safe at a particular time and you respect the time that's busy. Like you're not going to go pop your head in at the end of the six weeks when they're scrambling to get grades in or anything like that. And that's one thing. That's a good piece of advice in general. Being aware of those sorts of things, like, you know, Monday, tomorrow will be the officially the end of the first three weeks of school, and teachers have to make sure all their grades are in so that we can do progress reports and that sort of thing. So probably not a good time to visit. Or, you know, but, you know, by this time, you should also start developing some sort of idea of how you're going to interact with people. You know, I I agree with what Nee said. When you become a sophomore and as you get older, you're more comfortable in your own skin and in your interaction with adults. And it's a significant change between that freshman year and sophomore year. I don't know what happens during that summertime, but when the, when the sophomores come to us, they're, 
they're just different. They seem seem more human. <laughs> they seem more you know, human. And they're, yeah, and their ability to interact with people. I mean, I've always openly said that freshmen aren't human. So if we have any freshmen listening, I apologize in advance, but I'm just being me. But you're more comfortable around adults, I think, too. And you realize that in high school, um, at least it's been my experience, that most teachers are going to treat you like young adults and treat you with respect. It's an opportunity for you to have your voice as well. And I think that, that you can have those sort of conversations, you know, and pop ed and pop in. I'm not, I'm not advocating that you be friends with anybody. I think I, I always tell this to my students while you're with me, you're not my friend. We, you know, and I, I tell a story about you, Michael, and yeah. you and I have a budding friendship because we talk on a regular basis, yeah, yeah. but, but we weren't going to be friends while you were in school. That'd be weird. Like, yes, I'll be honest, would like, be. that would be really weird. <laughs> Absolutely. It would be weird and it would be inappropriate. So, so yeah, I guess the biggest thing I would say is just, you, you have to figure out, you have to you know, use your own gauge of when is the right times and if you're concerned that you have a very talkative teacher, um, then maybe you pick a time that is right before it's time to leave when you have a built-in excuse to leave right. and cut the conversation shorter. That's what- so I'm curious, in your experience of me, do you think I became more sociable between sophomore and junior? Oh, most yeah, absolutely I do. Um, one of the things, I think I even wrote this in one of the letters, is that one of the things that I was most proud of with you was the fact that you developed in your interactions with other people. And I felt like, and I don't want this to come across being too harsh, but I felt like when you first got to us, you were only concerned about Michael. And that may have not been the case. That may have just been the way you came across, mm-hmm. but it became more evident, especially your junior and senior year, your willingness to help other people. Um, yeah. And I talked about that as kind of from a servant leader kind of standpoint. And you were always a little bit on the socially awkward side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you were you definitely had your crew of people that you hung out with. And yeah. that made you more normal. So. <laughs> so I actually had a question. So what if you have a teacher that's not very talkative and more on the kind of like awkward side so how would you suggest like approaching them because like when you're the person that's like less awkward than the teacher i know exactly <laughs> what teacher you're talking about in your school oh my do gosh. you i do because i'm friends with him too i can beep out these names yes you beep. can say them no not not him because oh, <laughs> i, I would have sworn it would have been him he's an interesting person not not very awkward not as awkward as the teacher i'm thinking of uh, who's the teacher you're thinking of yeah. <laughs> Knew it. Do I know? Do I know? You put me in his class. He teaches. I don't think I ever had a chance to beat him. Yeah, you can do without it. I think. <laughs> so as a student, how do you approach a teacher that is awkward? Um, well, that's a really interesting question. I guess I assume that you had this teacher for a class already. Yeah, so I've had him for a class sophomore, junior and senior year. And this year. Okay. So is this a concern about how to approach them in terms of asking for a letter of recommendation? No, because like, so for our school, we get recommenders assigned. So it'll be like very kind of casual conversation, but always like awkward and doesn't really last very long. So I feel like it's harder to make a connection like that. Sure. Well, whatever that particular subject matter is that they teach, you could start a conversation about something that you'd, you know, maybe you've read an article recently that's related to what he or she teaches and share it with them and see if that sparks a conversation. People always like to talk about things that they're interested in Mm -hmm. and then see what happens there. And, but the other side of that, there are just some people that aren't conversationalists. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I understand. (laughs) I connect with the teacher you reference. (laughs) Let me say one thing about juniors. Your junior year is 
not only going to be probably your most difficult year because you're transitioning to your largest, for most people, their largest load of AP classes, or at least up to this point. Right. But in addition to that, it's also when you're heavily into your extracurricular activity, you found kind of, hopefully, you have found your kind of niche place for at least your, what I would recommend is like your two big extracurricular activities. And so you should be developing relationships with those people that are sponsoring or coaching those extracurricular activities. And those definitely should be people that um, if they're not writing letters of recommendation, they can be talking to other teachers on your behalf. Right. All right. So now we've talked about freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Now we're in our wonderful senior year where you actually need to ask these teachers for the rec letters. So now you've continued talking to your teachers. For example, one of my teachers, I had them freshman year and I had them again senior year. So make sure, you know, you're showing that development to these teachers and that you're still staying active in your clubs. Don't start dropping clubs senior year. It looks very bad. These teachers will see you're shutting down for college. But yeah, let's talk about senior year. I mean, one quick thing I'll say about dropping clubs is that I I I learned I think pretty early on probably Mr. Orchestra. Over well, here. okay, so I dropped orchestra after college apps were sent, so that's different. Um, but I do remember early on sophomore year. This was what we talked about earlier about Mr. Gonzalez thinking I was doing too much. Was that I tried to do mock trial debate, academic decathlon, orchestra, and I think like one one thing else and that like just didn't Michael work. Kids. But like I could have chosen not to take the advice and kind of quit some things. I could have like done all five of those activities junior year too. And I think in that situation it's preferable for you to be quitting some senior year fall, especially because you have to recognize that senior year fall is going to be the hardest semester I think you're ever going to have because you're going to have junior year level <laughs> oh, AP classes. Yeah, sorry. Um but you also yeah, have college apps with like 20 million essays to write for 20 million different yeah. schools and thanks for reminding me michael <laughs> okay so you know we all know senior is hard just i guess don't be afraid to say hey i actually need to take some time to do these things and you might need to quit some things that you've been doing for a long time so michael if i can interject you said something about paring down when you get your senior year i would recommend you actually start paring down your junior year right i mean i actually think that by the time you're junior and senior you should have a couple of, of big activities that you're primarily involved in obviously you know Y'all talked about this at length on the episode that you discussed extracurricular activities, but you know, you, you only have so much time and I'm just a big proponent of its quality over quantity. And particularly if you're getting close to the end of the race, so to speak, uh, you want to be able to have a couple of big things that uh, you can talk about and people can talk about as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. Pare down as early as you think is possible. So if you found an interest in something, then just like tackle that interest and don't try to resume pad because that'll hurt your chances in the activity you actually care about. So one thing about senior year is that this is obviously the year for college apps. And this is the year when teachers start writing the rec letters. So Mr. Gonzalez, as someone who's written a whole bunch of rec letters, especially a whole bunch of rec letters for me, um, how <laughs> early do you think people should ask you? And do you think I asked you early enough? How early did you ask me? Um, I don't remember. Well, I mentioned it to you spring of junior year, but I don't know if that counts oh, as an gosh. ask that you like remember because I know you like being emailed. The answer is no. No, it did not count. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't remember, but I don't remember being irritated at you. So it was 
definitely early enough. I tend to say a month, at least a month in advance. And the sooner the better. And there is a problem, though, and this this may just be me. I think that if you start off at the very beginning of the school year asking for a letter of recommendation, teachers are going to forget because the beginning of the school year is so hectic anyway. That's true. uh, Even without the craziness that's been going on in our district. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yikes. But not a good time to ask, but you want to kind of find that sweet spot when we start getting closer to probably the end of September, beginning of October would be a good time to ask, depending on whether or not it's you're doing normal application or early decision or early action. At the, at a minimum, I would say two weeks. Um, I've experienced way too many times when students will come and ask me for a letter of recommendation the day before it's due, and I am the guy that will say no. There are some teachers that are afraid to say no. I'm not that person. You've not. I take writing letters of recommendation very seriously. I personalize all of them, and one day is not enough time. I don't care if I've known you for four years and you've been an active member of the mock trial team or when I coach debate. Just can't do it. You also have to be mindful of what teacher you're asking. You know, you're going to have some teachers that are more popular in terms of being asked for rec mm-hmm. letters and others in regular schools. And like the school, school where I'm at, we don't assign recommenders to anybody like your school does, uh, Dominic and E, which I found really interesting. I'd like to hear more about that later. But yeah, I think a, a good rule of thumb would be two to two weeks to a month, depending on what time period it is because you got to also remember if you're like you're doing regular applications that you've got to deal with thanksgiving and christmas break that are going to interrupt as well and i can just tell you from my experience i'm not going to be writing those letters over breaks (laughs) i'm just going to be real so if you ask a month before do you suggest going back to the teacher after like two weeks and seeing if they've started on your letter or something like that or should you just give them that amount of time i wouldn't wait till the end of the 30-day period to check on it i think it's perfectly reasonable to check on it after two weeks and then after that once a week that is what michael did with me and i may have bantered with him a little bit but i never found it irritating it's okay uh, i actually appreciated the fact that he would give me a nudge every once in a while when the students do that because we're we're human we'll get snowed under uh, with other stuff that's going on and in small schools in particular the teachers have more responsibilities than just what they do in the classroom so me i always appreciate the nudge so i, I think if you do it in a respectful way it'll be fine so one thing i always had trouble with writing those reminder emails was wording them in a way that didn't sound like too pushy i guess so do you have and i don't know if i succeeded or not but do you have any advice on how to write those emails well they don't always have to be emails right you know in person yeah in person just pop your head in you know you could do it real cash and say hey uh do you need anything else from me for the letter oh and by the way uh, how's it coming (laughs) and you can even you know if you want to frame it in sort of like you know i'm starting to freak out a little bit and it's getting close can you just kind of give me an idea where you are and engage it depending on what your relationship is with the teacher i mean i think michael towards the end you were going to get a lot more leeway than other students would be even because at the end you you weren't giving me that much notice on anything but i'd already written the primary letter so it wasn't that big of a deal and you got grace for that so yeah especially with the some of those scholarships that had really like quick turn deadlines yeah we mentioned this a little bit earlier that our two schools kind of have different systems for how to request recommenders, especially at our school, but I think most public schools in general. The system is that you just ask a teacher if they'll write you a rec letter. So in that system, uh, Mr. Gonzalez, do you have any advice about how we pick the teachers? I think one thing that's obvious is that you pick the teacher who 
knows you the best, but do you think there are other factors that we should be concerned about? Uh, yes. First off, I mean, you think this would be obvious, but you obviously want to pick a teacher who's who you did well in their class. You know, you might have a connection with a teacher, but you didn't do well in the class. Uh, and that's just being honest. The other thing is, too, is that the earlier you can start getting feedback about teachers, the better off you'll be. I know, for example, in our building, we have some very good teachers, and I know that they connect well with their students, but they are horrible writers of letters of recommendation. Um, and you need to know that going into it, and you, you have to start kind of making a cost-benefit analysis of whether or not it's going to be more beneficial for you to get this person who has a reputation of writing bad letters to write your recommendation, although they know you very well, versus somebody who maybe doesn't know you as well, but might write a better rec letter. So I guess that's the first thing. And obviously, you've got some some natural places to look to if you've been involved in organizations. Like, even the larger high schools, they're they have more activities that need to be sponsored. Right. If you're part of those things, then you should seek out those teachers as well. And then the other thing I would say is, particularly when I was just a classroom teacher uh, and I was not the coordinator of the school, there were times when students couldn't ask me for a rec letter anyway because I was just a glorified elect because I didn't teach a core class, or at least that's the way they interpreted it. So the way some of the students would uh, utilize me is by asking me my advice on who they could ask for a good rec letter and I'd look, you know, see what their schedule was and see who they'd had. So use your other teachers as well that maybe you've only had a teacher for a year or, you know, maybe you have a good connection with your PE teacher. I don't know, (laughs) but they might, you know, like generally speaking, and you know, that's not somebody that's going to write a rec letter for you unless they're also your athletics coach or something. So I guess those would be the two or three things I would recommend about that. That's something that I didn't think about asking other teachers to comment on their peers' rec letter writing abilities. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because depending on who the teacher is, like if a kid asks me, I'll tell them the truth. I was like, I'll steer kids away from some <laughs> people too. It's like you, Because I know we have teachers in our building that have form letters. Yeah. That they'll just fill in the blanks. And I know another teacher that will tell the student to write their own rec letter and he'll sign it. And I don't think that's a good way of doing (laughs) things. And then honestly, I've seen some well-intentioned letters written that were just bad grammar. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't, you're selling yourself even in that too. And yeah, it's a bad impression for you as well. So one other, one other factor um, I've, I've, I've thought about a little about in preparation for this episode is the popularity of a teacher. So my intuition is that if you have a really popular teacher who is getting asked to write a lot of rec letters, their rec letters might not be as quality if you're an average student just because they're writing a whole bunch of rec letters. And so obviously, I think, Mr. Gonzalez, you're a very popular uh, rec letter writer because you do mock trial and then you're also the coordinator. So a lot of people come to you for that type of thing. Do you feel like because you're writing so many rec letters, it's hard to do each one really well? So actually, it may seem that way, but that's really not true. Last year, I only had, well, I had two letters, two kids from the mock trial team that asked me for letters of recommendation, which was oh. kind of surprising yeah, to me. that surprises me too. And I got onto them for not utilizing me as a resource. But like I said before, um, I will say no to people. And I don't know how many teachers do that, but I also have a kind of a hierarchy of people that I'm going to prioritize. And most of the time, for better or for worse, like, I'm going to take care of somebody like you that, that needs 
that's trying to get into right. something special and trying to do something special. And I'm also probably going to be taking some time out for the kid that's on the other side of the spectrum. Right. And that's a weakness in our school, and it's probably a weakness in all schools, that the kids in the middle have a tougher time. And I'm trying to figure that out myself, and that might be uh, another episode for you guys because I think that schools do a really good job of, or at least a decent job, I wouldn't say a really good job, of taking care of the kids at the high end, and we try to make sure that the kids on the bottom end uh, don't fall through the cracks. And I don't know how it is at, at your school, uh, me and Dominic, but I know like at our school, our the kid that finished last in our class last year had an 83 average. What? Yes. <laughs> And, you know, you could, you know, one of the conversations I had to have with her, and I did help her with a letter of recommendation, is you can't define yourself by being last in class. You're graduating with a B average from a fairly rigorous academic program, and you still have some choices to, I see you, but that's debatable, but. (laughs) Well, well. Compared to the rest. Yes. You know, the site is in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I agree. Relatively rigorous. Relatively rigorous. (sighs) Since we're on the subject of how to pick teachers to write rec letters, Dominic, how does it work at TAG? Because I know you've mentioned how there's like a weird form that you have to fill out. Yeah. How does it How does it work? All right. So, yeah, here's how our system works. At the end of junior year, each rising senior is asked to fill out this Google form. Now, this is the second year that we've done this, so they're trying to improve it every year. But last year was really the trial run, and this year it's working a lot better. But I'll kind of talk about why we did it in the first place. Again, you know, like you were talking earlier, Michael, some teachers were just being singled out. They're very popular teachers. You know, they're very active with the students. And they're just getting a lot of letter requests, and other teachers weren't getting as many. And, you know, the the teachers getting a lot of letter requests are really bogged down by the amount that they had to write. And, you know, there are a lot of teachers that had good connections with these students. But since everybody was going to these teachers, the crowd was just kind of following. So what they do is they ask each rising senior to fill out this form where they name, I think it's four to six teachers that they feel could write a good letter of recommendation for them. And what the teachers do in the work days leading up you know, leading up to students starting school when they're at work for like the week before or whatever, they have a meeting where they basically do like a, a fantasy football draft or something. They, they sit down together and they the teachers pick students. They like fight over the kids, basically. What? And they say, I want to write the letter for this kid. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I saw... Fantasy rec letters? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of my teachers, I actually saw his sheet. He printed out a sheet of the entire grade, and he liked marked kids that he felt he could write letters for, and then he like double marked the kids that he felt he could really write <sighs> good letters for with the personal connection. It's really great. So <laughs> they, they literally go into this like a fantasy draft, and they're fighting over these kids in this meeting. And each of the teachers picks their kids that they want to write for. And then what they do is they compare the two lists of the teachers that think they can write for kids and the kids that think the teachers can write for them. And then they pair you up with the teachers that way. So they'll give you a slip of paper with the two teachers' names. And although you're essentially paired up with these teachers, you are expected to go talk to them in a reasonable amount of time. So just because you got the paper doesn't mean that you've already asked them. You still have to go talk to the teacher and ask them and do whatever they need you to do uh, for the rec letter. But I think it's a good system. I was happy with the teachers that I got. It was pretty much, yeah, it was the teachers that I would have asked anyway. So I think the system does work. Well, I think it's important to note that you have at least your senior year is a small, smallish class. Yes. How many are in your in your graduating class? Seventy. Okay. And how? What is the size of your faculty? Ooh, like twenty ish. Okay. So are they dividing those equally? 
No, I think it's still heavier with some teachers. With like junior and senior year yeah. teachers more, I think. Okay. Yeah, but before some of them were having like 35 yeah. rec mm-hmm. letters, and now it's probably down to 15 or 20 on the high end. I would say that's a good system if you've got a small school and a, well, a small graduating class and you've got a faculty that's well qualified to write letters. I wouldn't trust that sort of system at my school. Yeah, at least not yet. Not. <laughs> it's. I think it'll be better this year, Michael, with some of the new hires that we have because I'm really excited about some of our new teachers mm-hmm. in the math department mm-hmm. and even in the cluster uh, that I think they're going to be writing better letters of recommendation. And uh, as I told you off air, I'm actually going to be teaching a professional development in October on how to write letters of recommendation to try to address some of this. You guys have actually kind of been my inspiration for this because I feel like our school has kind of been behind in terms of the way they just approach it. And so I've been trying to be more proactive about what we do with our students. So I'm head on addressing the issue of bad letters of recommendation. So hopefully it helps a little bit. Cross your fingers. I am. So now that we've kind of talked about how to pick your teachers. So once you've had like your two recommenders... Mr. Gonzalez, like, I know you, you write letters of recommendations. So what have you found helpful in that, like, what the student can provide to make you write better letters of recommendation? Okay, so what I would say about this is that when I sit down with the student or when they first ask me, actually, when they first ask me, I tell them what my expectations are. I think it's a pretty good system. And so I ask them to not only give, you know, a lot of teachers just say, give me a resume. I actually ask for more of like a CV of everything that they do. Because I think too many times students assume that the teachers know everything that's going on in their lives. And we don't. You know, I used to coach debate for a good a good amount of time. And I knew everything that went on in their academic lives and in their competitive lives, but I didn't know a lot beyond that. And y'all have talked about one of my students quite a bit. (laughs) Y'all refer to her as the quinceanera girl. (laughs) And she's a perfect example of that because when I was looking to write her letter, I knew all about her her debate. She was one of our top debaters and she was ranked in the state and she was ranked in the top 10. She had a pretty decent SAT score. But I didn't know about the rest of what was going on with her. And I actually, she was one of the first students I did this with. I said, I just need you to not eliminate anything and just write down all the activities that you're doing outside of school. And it's in, in that process that I learned about her quinceanera business. And I wrote about that in my letter of recommendation. I can't remember whether or not she wrote about it in her essay or not. But I do think that that had an impact on her acceptances. You know, y'all have never talked about this, so I'm going to add a little more more to the story. She got into Wellesley, uh, which I think is still currently ranked number four among liberal arts colleges. And when she graduated from there, she went to SMU Law School, but she went to SMU Law School because she was only one of two recipients of the Sarah T. Hughes Scholarship, which is the diversity scholarship that they give uh, to only two students. And that's that pays for everything. That pays wow. for tuition, room and board, books, and a stipend. And so she's practicing law in, T- in Dallas now. And I just think that um, just asking that extra question, uh, for me, it just opened my eyes about the different things that my students do outside of school because she was already doing a lot. But for her to be able to 
do everything she was doing in school, and she had had this side business. I just thought that is something I have to write about, and I wouldn't have been able to write about it had I not asked her to include that. So now I ask all my students to do that. And I, you know, over the years I found out that I had kids that were, you know, presidents of organizations like the uh, junior version of the NAACP and things like that oh, that wow. I had no idea about before. So. So that, that's, you know, you may not get a teacher to ask you for those things. So what I would say is uh, don't self-select on things like that. Uh, make a list of all the activities that you're doing where, and don't, uh, don't minimize anything that you're involved in because I think a lot of times students don't realize some of the things that they do. I had another student that comes to mind uh, who uh, eventually went to Smith, and her thing was is that every summer when her parents her family would go down to Mexico, she would collect boxes of books to take to the small town because they didn't have a library. And she had done that since she was like in the seventh grade. And I thought that was a compelling story. So I included that in her rec letter. So you just never know some of the stuff that you do. I think that y'all have a tendency to just uh, undervalue some of the things that you do. So I would really recommend that you include things like that. Um, Those are the two big ones. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that Oh, the other thing is, is that like, I know that we're, we live in the era of the common app, but then there are sometimes special special situations, uh, particularly when you start dealing with scholarship recommendation letters to make sure to give the teacher any special prompts. Because sometimes the prompts will ask you to consider their academic ability and others will ask you to uh, judge a student's leadership potential or some other characteristic. And that's important because then you can customize the letter to do that. Um, the other thing I would say is that I would I would also request this is one of the things I request and so this is something I would recommend that you provide in advance is that if you know you're going to be asking a teacher to write multiple letters of recommendation uh, to different schools you know they may only need to tweak the letter a little bit but the big pain is when you don't have I personally I'm old school I like to have all the contact information on each letter as part of the customization process. So I want all that information. I don't want to have to go look for it. So if you like have the person or the department where the letters are going to on a Word document or a Google Doc that you share with the teacher that they can just cut and paste onto the letter and reformat it. It just makes it easier. But, you know, that that is something that I asked Michael to do and he did and it made it a lot easier for me to to do all those letters especially when we started dealing with the uh, with the scholarship letters it's, yeah especially with the final phone calls after the waitlist offers having you call into um i think harvard it was yeah that's correct um one thing i'll throw in here uh as a student is to make sure the teacher knows all the parts that they need to do because the common app for example one part is the letter But the other part is the Common App cover sheet where they put their information, but they also rate you on a scale of one to five, I think, in several different categories. And you want to make sure they do that cover sheet too, because otherwise Naviance or whatever system you use probably won't let them send. So remember that. The other thing that may seem obvious to y'all is deadlines is let them know in advance what the deadlines are. Um, we all The teachers don't always know what where you are in the process, and quite honestly, I think the average teacher doesn't keep up with that stuff. Uh, and in addition to that, particularly when you start dealing with the recommendation letters for scholarships, because, you know, I know that that can become just a wave of different letters. Yeah. And, you know, like you, Michael, you might give me one that's due 30 days from now, but then there's another one that's due a week from now. Yeah. Uh, just letting me know that way or letting the teacher know that'll help a lot too 
Uh, one suggestion I think I would make from an admin or maybe just from like a teacher time management perspective, and I think students can definitely help with this too, is maybe like a shareable calendar where students can drop in deadlines for the teacher. Um, so like each teacher has a calendar and if the student knows that that teacher is writing a rec letter for them, that student can add in the deadline to that calendar. And so every student who the teacher writes rec letters for can throw on deadlines. Um, so the teacher just has one place to look for all that information. Sure. And I would just say one thing to that is that you just be aware of what type of teacher you're dealing with. You know, we have some teachers that are more tech savvy than others. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And because as you were saying that there are, Obviously, there are other apps and whatnot that some younger teachers may be comfortable using um, as reminders and whatnot. Uh, and even even the calendar idea on the surface sounds like a like a wonderful idea, but not everybody. You know, like even the process of preparing for tonight using a, a Google Doc, some teachers might not be able to do that. Oof. I mean, I'm I'm just being right, honest. Right? Yeah. There's some really interesting teachers. <laughs> I'm convinced we have one that does not know how to turn on and turn off their computer. <laughs> I'll say no names on that one. <laughs> I think I can guess. All right. So now that we've, you know, kind of talked about asking these teachers and what to expect, how can you kind of make sure that these teachers aren't repeating either what the other teacher is saying or the counselor or, you know, just copying off the resume that's already going to be in the college application and to make it show off something special about you? So I think on the front end, you ask them, you know, Michael, I think I'll let you read all the letters I wrote for you, right? Um, you let me read them after the fact, but I don't know if I read them before you submitted them. Okay. Normally, normally it's my policy to let the student read the letter. Oh. Um, I don't, I don't understand why some teachers don't let students read the letters. And I think that's an easy way to, to deal with that. Just ask if you can read the letter before it's submitted. Is that something that's not normal? I mean, I don't know. I can only speak to my, myself on that. I do know that there are some teachers that seem to be very secretive about that. I mean, here's my take on that. If I'm going to write, I'm never going to write a bad recommendation letter. If I don't feel comfortable writing the rec letter, I'm not going to write it. So I'm only going to write a good letter of recommendation. So why wouldn't I want the kid to know? Yeah, I don't mm. think like any teacher specifically said they wouldn't let us read it. I just feel like we've steered away for some reason from asking them to let us read it, which I, I don't really get why but i guess like that that would be a good idea to kind of see the letter beforehand i mean other than that dominic how would you approach it because i i don't know of any other way that you other than transparency i don't know how you'd be able to deal with that issue yeah i know for us our teachers like to schedule meetings where we can talk with them uh one-on-one for about an hour after school or you know during their planning period when we don't have uh a class that we have to be in where we can kind of sit down and talk to them about what we want the letter to say. But for other, you know, other kids in other schools that are larger, um, you know, they wouldn't have these same access to those teachers. Right. So I that's mean, what we do. Right. I'm not and sure I think about that's, the other schools. That's a great situation that you have that you could ask each individual teacher to highlight a different area. Um, so that's certainly an advantage that you have, and that's sort of use that. I think at a regular school, yeah. like a comprehensive high school, you wouldn't have that uh, ability to do that. The closest, and I, I still go back to my statement that I think the best way to deal with that is ask if teachers willing to be transparent about what they write. And I would, you know, I would be leery of a teacher that would be unwilling to share it with you because either A, they're not comfortable with their writing ability, 
or or B, um, they probably use some sort of form letter that they don't want you to see. I'd be finding somebody else. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the last question we have prepared for you, Mr. Gonzalez, is, you know, as as students, we don't really write rec letters unless it's for Dartmouth who wants a peer rec letter. Uh, but, you know, in general, we don't really write them. So what's the process for a teacher or an admin when they write a letter? As someone who's done this for a while, I know you have some uh, in the database where you can just pull from and get inspiration but also how did you start out writing rec letters when you didn't have that database that was such a long time ago i don't really know the answer to the question (laughs) actually i just think intuitively i realized that i needed to be here's the one thing i i understood early on and nobody told me this and this is one of the reasons why uh, i want to talk to teachers about this i've seen too many letters where teachers spend half of the letter talking about the academic accomplishments of a student and that's a waste of space absolutely because you can get all of that information from a transcript the purpose of the rec letter is to help uh, either distinguish you in some sort of way or to explain away. Like I've written letters where I've had a kid that was ranked in the top five, but their SAT score didn't demonstrate that. And I've had one student in particular that I recall had severe test anxiety. And so I wrote about that because I'd seen it firsthand. So I guess the process is I do look over the resume and I try to figure and also take a look at the schools that the student is applying to. And I try to kind of highlight i kind of use a threefold approach in the in in the in most of my letters like what where did they start where are they now and where do i see them going is kind of a a framework that i use i always like the kind of the threefold format for most of the things i write and i think that's kind of a debate thing too yeah definitely i like to show either progression or uh, a development and maturity or leadership and in particular i like to use concrete examples of when that's been displayed like the one i shared about the student who froze up in class and then four years later is speaking to the media things of that sort so and and to be honest you know i i don't want this to come across like like i cut and paste or anything because i certainly don't do that but i I can't remember if we were talking about this on air beforehand when i said that i have saved every single rec letter i've written in the last 20 years and i saved them in a folder by the student's last name and first name and i generally remember where those kids went to school and if i have a student for example that's applying to georgetown i'll go back and look at that for a couple of reasons number one i can't remember everything i've written and there's a chance i might repeat myself in some of the verbiage i use and i don't want to write a similar rec letter for a kid that's applying to let's say georgetown because i think we have six kids at georgetown right now and i think i wrote every single one of those rec letters and i don't want to write the same letter again number one but number two i'll also want to see what sort of things that especially if i know the kid got into the school you know is there something about that letter that stood out or that the kind of the the vibe of the letter uh to be touchy-feely about it um and the other thing and i think i did this with you is that especially students that are applying to these tier one schools where i've had other students go to those schools i will write comparison paragraphs about the student and i'll talk about how the student that's either currently there or just graduated, uh, the type of academic student they were, and I will compare the student that is applying to that student. I don't know what impact that has in my mind. I would think that somebody would fact check me and say, well, this guy is actually talking truth here. And so I actually think that's a really neat spin you do to your rec letters. 
and I think the reason why it probably has an impact is because the people reading the rec letters are the regional admissions counselors who've most likely been in the region for at least, you know, two or three years, unless it's a completely new person. So they might remember the old applicant and you making that comparison, I think, can be a pretty compelling place for them to dig back in their memory. Like We accepted this guy. If the new applicant is just as good, if not better than the person before, of course, we'll let them in. So I think it's definitely a really cool thing that you do with your letters. Well, well, thank you for that. And I, I think it does work. I saw that play out with Wellesley when we were talking about that earlier. I had a string of like five years in a row where we had uh, a young woman go to Wellesley. And I think we're seeing that trend right now with Georgetown and possibly even now with Columbia. Columbia. Yeah, three in a row. So, yeah, so cool. I think we're tracking well with that. So do you have any final advice for high school seniors applying to college, whether it be about teacher recommendations, or just about anything in general. Ooh, anything in general. Yeah, open it up. Well, I saw a note here that I didn't hear anybody really talk about, and that is be leery of the senioritis um, (laughs) that I also called the senior stress syndrome. Hmm. And that manifests itself in in many different ways. You have the stereotypical senioritis where people just don't care or they think they've already gotten in uh, and they start slacking. But then you get the people that hyper-stress out and they – seem to be overstressing about college applications or the workload that they have yeah. or they start working at their internship, their side job for too much. And I would just say make sure that you have an adult in your life that helps you monitor that and somebody that you listen to about that that will step in and say, hey, it I, I think senioritis is a normal thing, and I think it displays itself in every senior in some shape or form. And I think it's important that those of us that are your teachers, uh, especially those of us that are closest to you, that help you with that. Just like pull you aside and say, either A, you need to you need to take a big chill pill, or B, you're messing up. You know, sometimes it's pulling you in and saying you're messing up because these colleges are going to ask for your final transcript and these colleges will withdraw offers. And it may not just be that, too. It's also like I like to have conversations with my seniors before big events like, I don't know, like the prom and the behavior that you do at places like that. And just, you know, I don't know. I guess the other thing the world we live in now is uh, scrub your social media, man. True. I mean, it's true. true. I mean, we've been in the process of trying to hire a new teacher. And the very first thing that our principal does is do a quick Google search and start pulling up all the social media. And you've had some candidates eliminated that way right off the bat. Wow. It's real. It's real. And I imagine that there are colleges that have better resources than we do in DISD. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess the the last thing that I want to say, just based on everything that I've heard, is that the first thing I would say is, I think you and I have talked about this, Michael, Mm -hmm. is that I hear too many students self-eliminate themselves from schools. absolutely. And, you know, obviously be realistic about what your reach schools are, what your mid-level schools are. But if you're in that area, don't start worrying about how you're going to pay for it. Uh, get into the school first and then let the rest play itself out and utilize your resources. Use people like me to make telephone calls for you if you don't have the ability. Like I know Michael leveraged one of his offers for more money. <laughs> Not everybody's like Michael. So use one of us to make a telephone call on your behalf. The other thing is too, is on the other side of that is don't compare yourself to anybody. That your top school may be somebody else's backup school and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. The only person that you you need to compare yourself to is the person you were yesterday and that's it and hopefully you're better than that person was 
And there's, and I'll just say this from my personal experience, and I think I've told you this story before, Michael, is that I wound up going to my backup school. I got yeah, into some yeah. good schools, but because you know the reason why I'm so passionate about this thing, and I'm not going to talk about that on air, but I didn't feel as an adult that I had the people there in place at school for me when I was your age looking out for me. And so I made a couple of bad decisions that led me to make my decision on school based solely on money. And I got a good education. I went to SMU for undergrad. And I got everything paid for, and so I don't I don't regret that. Think I I'm you know philosophical and think things happen for a reason, and that I can share that story with my students now. But the the other lesson that I can draw from that is that when I confronted the woman who was supposed to help me with that as an adult, I said, "Why didn't you help?" Because you know I was the first person in my entire family to ever go to college, and she said, "I thought you knew what you were doing, and you never asked for help." So don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, don't be embarrassed by it. Uh, there's no shame in asking other people to help you um, because people do want to help you. I've met very few teachers that don't want to see their students succeed and don't want their students to go on and do great things. So you will be helped. So don't be afraid to ask for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely agree. I definitely agree with, especially with asking for help, um, especially during the college application process when there are just things that you as a student can't do or can't do as effectively as a teacher or an admin could always ask for help. Um, and you know, the worst thing is they say no. So, uh, you might as well put in the ask. Um, but that was our episode about teacher recommendation letters with Mr. Gonzalez. Mr. Don Gonzalez, uh, is a 20 year educator at the law magnet in Dallas, Texas. And he helped me a lot through the college admissions process. And I hope, uh, his advice today has helped a lot of you guys out there, our listeners out, uh, in the process too. He's also a podcaster under thejoecatholic.org. So if you're interested uh, in hearing more from Mr. Gonzalez, check out thejoecatholic.org. Thanks so much for coming on, Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. And that was our episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next week. If you've listened this far into the episode, then you are definitely an Admissions Uncovered superfan. And if you're a superfan... I know you want to listen to every single one of our episodes, but in order to do that, you need to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast player of choice. Now, if you're on an Apple device, just go to bit.ly slash aupodapple to subscribe via iTunes. And if you're on an Android device, go to bit.ly slash aupoddroid to subscribe on your Android podcast listening app of choice. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can keep listening.